So we're going to have it in that uh, with Shendon, I had asked him, how do you integrate your faith into your work? And Shendon has been in the corporate space for uh, basically his whole career. And for Brian, he decided to have a career shift and a career change. And so I thought it was an interesting contrast. And so enjoy the interview and feel free once again. I didn't ask for Brian's permission, but please go talk to Brian afterwards if you have questions or comments about the interview. Um, but enjoy. Hey, Brian, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule for this interview. Yeah, thanks, Roy. Um, yeah, I was just wondering if you can share about your current role and uh, what you do for work. Yeah, no worries. I, I'm currently employed as a student wellbeing officer at Nunawading Christian College. So uh, I'm basically a, uh, a counseling therapist for students in high school. Oh, that's fantastic. And and I understand you weren't always in that line of work. Like you had a different career path um, just a number of years ago. And I was wondering if you could share about that as well. Yeah. Uh, well, my first career was um, in, in digital marketing for the e-commerce department at, at, for Kmart Australia. And I did that for a little over six years. And uh, as fun as that was, I um I came in at an at an entry level role and you know after 6 years I kind of had noticed you know a lot of the my peers had progressed um beyond that and I knew I needed to uh apply myself and invest if I wanted to um you know progress through the through, through that organization yeah. and uh I didn't really uh, want to <laughs> yeah i think it's it's probably more um more personality than than ethics but the just uh the idea of of meeting sales targets and and just selling more and more and more stuff uh, it didn't really i didn't find satisfying personally yeah um and i and i struggled to kind of bridge uh i guess my skills and and um and my interests with the work that was required. So, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so so what, what prompted the shift? Because, um, you know, counseling and, you know, providing um, emotional mental support to secondary students is very different <laughs> from digital marketing. Like what, what led to that? Uh, yeah. What prompted the new career choice, I should say? Yeah. I think I heard someone say that... Um, you know, to be successful is like a recipe for success. Yep. And that um, it involves either um, talent, uh, hard work, or uh, passion. And um, I had none of those that <laughs> <It> came out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, the, but to be successful, you need at least two of those, of those three things. And one of them has to be passion. Yeah. Um, but what I did discover that at, at Kmart uh, in my role was that I really did enjoy um, my, the team that I worked with. And um, I found myself often um, counseling my team um, sideways and up. And that's what I really found satisfying in, um, yeah, kind of, I guess, leading some the, the team culture yeah. and uh so when i when i realized i needed to, to do it invest and and um and study 
to be, you know, to grow personally and professionally, I realized it's not going to be here in this environment. I, I need to do something else. So uh, I took what I had experienced and found that, you know, what I did find fulfilling in that work environment. And then I decided to go study counseling. Yeah. Um, it seemed like uh, there wasn't much to lose. If, if I didn't become a counselor, well, I, I would enjoy studying. It was going to be an interesting, um, you know, uh, thing field yeah. to learn about. Um, yeah. But I have become a counselor. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. Um, you know, I, part of these, um, the, the rationale behind this series of interviews is like drawing out what it means to, I, I guess, live out your faith in the context of your work. And your story is really interesting to me because you had one career path and you chose a new career path. And as I've had conversations with you about um, some of your interactions and some of the decisions that you've made um, in, in your line of work, um, yeah, the, the, the spiritual aspect of what comes out in those conversations has been really interesting. And that's kind of what I wanted to drill down in in this conversation. Um, I remember one time we were talking about um, government funding in terms of your role and how that works. And in that conversation, you had shared how um, part of the guidelines around the government funding stipulated that you wouldn't be able to pray with your students. And um, your response to that situation was you were just sharing, actually, I'm not sure that I can do that. And I was wondering if you can share a little bit about that story, what the conversation Mm. went like, and, and how the school responded as a result of you know what you sure, yeah yeah so my my role is partly funded by um grants that the government provides for all schools um it's called the national chaplaincy and well-being scheme and um and this year in particular sort of you know you apply for it and you get funding for four years and it's significant dollars you know it's it, it pays for a, a fair whack of my salary and um yeah, and and uh, noticed that this year uh, to to re- apply for that funding, there was a, a bunch of different things that you'd have to agree to and personally sign. That yeah, I think praying was one of them, and um, you wouldn't lead a worship service or um, promote uh, spiritual camp, Christian camps, summer camps, that kind of thing. Um, and you know, to be honest, Roy, I I I can. Uh, you know, counsel students without prayer and without, um, you know, I don't, I don't impose my Christian values upon uh, student clients. But um, in the context of our Christian school, uh, you know, as a well-being officer, I'm, I am caring for the the social, the emotional, the mental, the spiritual, the behavioral um, impacts of and issues of of our students and. Um, it it just doesn't make sense to separate those things. And I couldn't in good conscience say that I wouldn't, knowing that, you know, in this environment, I, I would be doing those, those, those things, sharing my faith and praying for and with students. Um, yeah, because it, because uh, students respond to that, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. They respond to it and they, they, um, need it. Yeah. You know, if so, I want- yeah, so we, so as a school, we decided, um, look, it's more important to have the opportunities to share, um, and, and showcase who God is than, than the funding. Um, 
So yeah, we'll see how that goes. Well, in closing, um, yeah, I just wanted to ask if you um, are able to share maybe an experience um, that was particularly meaningful for you as you've had interactions with some of the students on campus. Mm, Yeah, sure. Um, A part of my role is, you know, I'm kind of this, this, my role is not a teacher. It's not this, the, the, the highest level of authority. Um, and I'm, and I'm not down here as a peer. I'm, I'm in this, this bridge between the, the, um, the teachers that are marking students work and, um, managing behavior and, um, and what's going on in the life of, of any student. Um, and oftentimes some of the most problematic behaviors, you know, of students that exhibit the most problematic behaviors um, are the ones that I'm dealing with. And so sometimes I'll go to disciplinary committees to, uh, on behalf of the student to share, you know, where they're at and what they're doing. But um, some of those times when students have found themselves in trouble, you know, uh, are, I get to see the, the story of redemption play out a little bit, um, yeah. you know, in, in this like microcosm of the macrocosm of, you know, of the story of the world. Yeah. Um, and it's always heartwarming to see when, when students um, are able, when, you know, when I challenge or pry or ask questions or try seek to understand um, where students coming from and, and ask why, you know, and they open up and they share what's going on. There's some incredible breakthroughs and um, I'm always touched by, um, yeah, simply an, an adult being willing to um, sit with a young person and um, and not condemn, but to grow with. Mm. Yeah. To, to, to watch that student then um, from their own heart uh, forgive or, 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 or reconcile or make amends for what they've done wrong. Those are really, really satisfying moments. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No, that's very, very cool. And and I know that kids naturally gravitate towards you. And uh, I, I, I think, I think they just sense um, that you're someone who is willing to listen and, and um, yeah, I, I think that really, it's a very um, inviting characteristic to have. And so, yeah, so glad that you can share and so glad that you're part of our community. Yeah, thanks, Roy. All right. <laughs> the interview. So today, um, the sermon is entitled, How to Seek God's Will, How to Seek God's Will. Um, I remember when Jinha and I were at uni and we were just about to start dating and we had this conversation around um, are we right for each other? And went through the process of talking to our parents and just kind of trying to figure our futures out. And it was challenging because um, I was set to come back here to Melbourne and Jinhao was going to stay in the U.S. And we weren't sure exactly what that relationship would look like. And as we kind of progressed in our relationship, we came to the point where we were like, okay, we're ready to start. And Jinhao was excited and I was concerned. 
And she was like, hey, this is a time to celebrate. And I was like, yeah, but how are we going to work through long distance? And like, how does marriage work? And I thought about like, what about like finances and our jobs? Where are we going to? And, and there's just so many questions to work through. And Jinha asked me, at what point in time do we get to celebrate the wins? Like, when are you going to be ready to just say, ah, let's enjoy this moment? And my response to her was, when we're 40. <laughs> and I was just, as a uni student, I was looking forward to my middle age. And, and this is significant because Jinha and I both turned 40 this year. <laughs> and so she turned to me, she's like, so you're ready to celebrate now? <laughs> and my rationale was, you know, when I'm 40, that's when finances are set and stable. We have work. The kids' question is sorted out. You know, we might have a house. And it just it felt like I was just looking for stability and comfort. And now that I'm, well, I turned 40 in about a month. Now that I'm almost there, you know, like that, there was a lot of, I, I feel like there was a lot of um, good thinking behind feeling comfortable about being 40. And so um, anyway, but... The point of me sharing the story is I remember just asking that question, God, what is your will? What's next in my life? And that sense of uncertainty was just so unsettling. Well, two weekends ago, um, as, as some of you know, I went on a spiritual retreat over a weekend. It was three days. Um, it was myself and two other pastors, uh, Fraser and Ryan, here in the Victorian Conference. And we took three days out and we said, look, there are things that we want to work through with God. And so we're going to pray through and read scripture together over the course of this time period. And so um, in the past, I had actually um, talked to a, a lady by the name of Celia Kemp, who's a spiritual director. And basically, I would just talk to Celia and say, hey, these are the things that I'm going through. Um, can you give me some advice in terms of what scripture that I can read? And she actually put together a whole plan for, uh, for us. And um, part of today's sharing comes from the text that the three of us studied over that weekend. And I just wanted to share some insights um, from Exodus chapter 33 and 34. I just want to give a summary of events before we start reading the text. Um, in the story of the Exodus, God calls Moses up to Mount Sinai, and he gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And here is, I guess, these are the contents of the Ten Commandments in principle. And if you look at the first two commandments, they're about worshiping other gods and bowing down to idols. And the summary is basically don't, do, don't worship other gods and don't bow down to idols. Um, but in the story, while God is giving the commandments, the Israelites build this golden calf and they start worshiping it. And God tells Moses about what's happening and he goes, go sort this situation out. And so God, uh, excuse me, Moses confronts the people and uh, basically what we pick up, where we pick up in Exodus 33 and 34 is the aftermath of this uh, com conversation and this confrontation. So in Exodus chapter 33, verses 1 to 3, and I'm just going to narrate the text because I know most of you can read it, and so I'll just narrate. God tells Moses, Moses, I promised Abraham and his sons that I would give Canaan to his descendants. I'll send an angel to drive out the specific people and the nations, and I'll make sure your people can settle in the land. And basically God goes, but I don't want to go with you. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with Scripture, I know this idea seems unfair. Why would God 
push out and drive out all these nations. It's almost as if God is like displacing these people and encouraging um, the creation of refugees. And so initially I was going to spend time kind of explaining and giving context and working through this. And Jin Ha looked at my sermon and she said, your sermon is going to be too long. Don't do that. And so she was right. My sermon was, it was like hitting 16 pages. And for reference sake, I usually go for 10 pages. And anyway, we would, we would have been here till the second coming. And so I've, I've axed out the explanation. If you have any questions about why would God chase out these nations, isn't that unfair? Come talk to me and I will give you the three pages that I deleted. So Basically, God goes, I'm going to guide Israel, but I will not go with you. And when you read the text, you really get a sense that God is just tired of Israel. He's tired of their bickering. He's tired of the disobedience. He's tired of the idolatry. But when you read the story, you get a picture of God's faithfulness as well, where he's saying, hey, I promised Abraham that I would give his descendants the promised land. So I'll fulfill that promise. You know, Abraham, he's not even alive But God is saying, even though I'm upset, I have to fulfill my promise. Now, what happens from verses 4 to 12 in Exodus chapter 33 is that God reconciles with Israel. And you see his attitude shifting. And we pick up here in verses 12 and 13. Moses here is concerned about the task of entering into the promised land. And when you read the text, you see Moses asking God the question, God How am I going to do this? How am I going to lead these people? Who are you going to send with me? I need a team. I need help. See, Moses, he longs for certainty. He wanted Israel to have distinction amongst the nations. And so Moses' request is, God, I want to know your will. I want to know your way. Do you have plans? Do you have dreams in your own life? What dreams or plans do you have for your career? Do you stay at your job? Do you have a career change? What occupies your mind when you think about your family and your children? Jinha and I, we're currently considering moving schools for the boys. They, they currently attend public school. Uh, they, they attend Coburg North Primary School. And we're considering moving them to Nanawani Christian College, where Brian works. And we're kind of in that process of how do we plan for the future of our children? What's right? We're also journeying through this as a church. Do we stay here at North Fitzroy in the afternoons? Or do we find another church? Do we head to the city and find a morning service? God, what is the right decision? There are times where we are in constant need of direction. And here, Moses turns to God and he says, God, Show me your way. Here's God's response in verse 14. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. See, Moses is like, God, I need guidance, and God's response is, In that case, I give you me. When I look at the scenario, I would think a map might be more helpful. Hey, if, you're, if you need to get to the promised land, here's how you get there. Or here are all the nations that you're going to face that are more powerful than you. They've got horses. They've got chariots. Let's talk about strategy. I would think that would be very helpful in this case. But instead, God simply offers himself. So this piques Moses' interest. And in verse 18, he says, God, show me your glory. 
And here we pick up in verse 34, chapter 34, verses 1 and 2. So the Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablet which you broke. Be ready in the morning, and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. And so in verses 4 and 5, Moses follows the instructions, and uh, basically he goes up the mountain. Now, what's interesting in chapter 33 is that God briefs Moses before Moses comes up to the mountain. There, there are specific instructions that Moses needs to follow. Yes, he needs to bring the commandments, but notice here as well. God says, I'll cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I'm going to proclaim my name, the Lord in your presence. Skipping to verse 20, he says, you cannot see my face, for nobody can see me and live. And what's interesting here is like God is saying, Moses, I want you to physically be in my presence. But there's this challenge where God is saying, my presence is going to hurt you. So then how do we work through this? And when you read verses 21 to 23, it's interesting. It's as if God has these massive hands and he literally moves Moses to a safe spot and covers him. And there's this intimacy and there's a security that's communicated in this interaction where God is saying, I just want to be as close to you as I possibly can physically. And so God reveals himself to Moses, picking up in chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. So he passes in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Now here's my question. How is a revelation of God's character a solution to finding clarity around the direction of our lives? How is a revelation of God's character going to help me plan for my family, my career, or even the direction of this church? Throughout Exodus chapter 33 and 34, there are times where God gives Moses these revelations of his character, and I'm just going to highlight three of those character traits. And what I want to suggest is that the more we sit in the presence of God, embracing those character traits, the more impact they have for us as we journey with God through our lives. So here's the first character trait. The first character trait is God's goodness. So in God's presence, there is goodness. And in Exodus 33, verse 19, he says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. So what does it mean to trust in the goodness of God? Does it mean we manifest the best outcome through our faith? There's this movie called Through the Eyes of Tammy Faye, and I don't know if any of you saw it, but it's the story of Jim Baker and Tammy Faye, and it's this couple who built the largest Christian television network in the 70s and 80s. Uh, They called it PTL Ministries, which stands for Praise the Lord. And so if you're wondering, where did PTL come from? It came from these folks in the 70s. So in this movie, Jim tells his wife, I'm going to go spend time with God and uh, I'm going to go spend time with God in prayer, and I'm going to tell him about all the things that I want. See, Jim had this idea that you can manifest God's blessings as long as you believe that it's going to happen. Does that 
Is that what it means to trust in the goodness of God? See, Jim was so good at what he did, and he was so good at raising funds that he built a 2,200-acre Christian amusement uh, park called Heritage USA. And in 1986, six million people visited the park. I wanted to flick a picture of Heritage USA, but I couldn't find a picture that was not copyrighted. But it is massive. And, and to put this into context, in 1986, there were only two amusement parks that had more people come in, and that was Disneyland and Disney World. Like, who goes, hey, kids, want to go to a Christian amusement park? Like, it's like, yay, let's go read Bible verses together. <laughs> I mean, how do you market that? But he did. See, Jim, he believed that you could manifest God's goodness But Jim Baker, later he was sentenced to 45 years of prison for fraudulent activities. See, the promise of God's goodness, it's not a promise of comfort or prosperity. Here's an example of how Paul views God's goodness. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 32 uh, 32 to 35. And I'm just going to read the whole passage because I think it's important. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. This is such a terrible text to read, especially when you're going through a difficult time. All things work together for good. What does that mean? Paul continues on in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? See, Paul acknowledges there are times where you face difficulty. And if if anybody understood difficulty, it's Paul. He lives out the will of God. He does the right thing. And what's the response? He gets persecuted thrown in prison, beaten. And Paul is simply saying here, there are times where you are not going to understand God's plan. But because God gives Jesus, God doesn't give us a reason to doubt his love. And Paul just, he uses that as an anchor in his life. He's getting persecuted for his faith. He's getting physically abused and harmed. And his response is, God, you sent Jesus to die for me. And I don't understand why this is happening, but I understand that you are love. Developing an awareness of the goodness of God in the midst of difficulty has the power to build perseverance, hope, and clarity. Uh, I don't know if all of you had uh, attended last week, but for those of you who haven't, there was a lady by the name of Sashka, and she uh, she's a pastor, and she shares her testimony If you go to the Melbourne City Adventist Church YouTube channel and you click on Last Weekend, her testimony is one that's filled with suffering and at the same time filled with hope. And I'm not going to repeat it because she's shared it and you can find it online, but I highly, highly encourage you, listen to this woman's story. It's incredible. Here's the next character trait, God's mercy. In God's presence, there is mercy patience, and security. In Exodus 34, verse 6, God says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, 
slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. I worry all the time about the, uh, about the moments where I've messed up. You know, I think of my kids, and there are moments when I fear that I've adversely impacted their lives by my parenting. And uh, if, you, if you walk through the halls of this church, um, you know, especially afterwards, the kids run around, and every now and then you're going to hear the kids shout out, emotional damage. And, uh, you know, kids, you, do you want to give an example of how that sounds? Yeah, well, my Malaysian accent isn't very good, so <laughs> it's better to, better for it to come to them. And for me, it's like this deep sense of fear as a parent. Am I damaging my children, right, by my actions, by my attitude, by my emotions? There are times where I feel like my mistakes can adversely impact the financial stability of our family. There are times where I feel like my mistakes, they feel debilitating, and sometimes the fear of making mistakes keeps me from even trying. But this idea that in the presence of God, there is mercy, there is forgiveness, there is love. God invites us into this space, and it's amazing what some mercy will do to a person as they deal with with their own guilt. You know, mercy has the power to inspire us to try again. I make a lot of mistakes as a pastor, I make a lot of mistakes as a parent. I make a lot of mistakes as a husband. But living in guilt has never made me better at any of these things. So I encourage you, if you feel like you have failed or if you feel like a failure, lean into the mercy of God. It will revitalize you so you're able to get up and try again. The third character trait is God's morals. And this is the final character trait that I'm going to be touching on. There's something about the character of God, the morality of God, that helps us discover his will. Now remember, Moses wants guidance and a revelation of God. So then God instructs Moses, bring up two tablets of stone so that he can give Israel the Ten Commandments. See, God is trying to communicate to us and to Israel The spirit in which we go about our business and God's business, it matters. There are many times when God's plans and God's work, it's hindered by our underhanded selfish desires. You know, there's so many different news articles that pop up of different Christian leaders who've done things that really harmed the cause of God and themselves. The call to uphold a moral compass, it enables God to identify himself and his people. What I find peculiar is that when God gives Moses the commandments, he wants to spend personal time with Moses. He wants Moses to stand in his presence as he writes the commandments. I think it's worth to observe that Moses had personal contact time with God and therefore internalized the commandments. In contrast, if you look at the Israelites, they did not have personal time with God, and many of them misapplied the commandments. The same goes for us. It's not enough to know about the truth. In order to live out the truth, the commandments need to be internalized. We need personal contact time with the one who wrote the truth. We have to know God's uh, heart, to know how he wants us to live out his word. It's so easy to become judgmental, 
angry and hypocritical as followers of God. Sometimes I am one of them. But near the heart of God, there's security, there's mercy, and there's grace. And I think that brings new meaning to the passage in John chapter 14, verse 15, where John writes, and Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments. In other words, you need to know God's love before you can even know how to keep his commandments. There's this reinforcing statement where it loops back, where Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. See, this, supposed to, this idea of obedience, it's supposed to enhance our ability to experience and understand love. So in summary, God's character traits that help us understand his will. Understanding God's goodness, understanding God's mercy, understanding God's moral or his character. See, Moses was looking for guidance, and God offered his presence. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 3, I just want to spend some time talking about the practical aspects of what it means to step into the presence of God. When God calls Moses up to the mountain, he tells him in verse 3, no one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. It's kind of interesting. God is like, don't even let the animals come up. Don't even let the animals come up here. And there's this idea of boundarying time and space away from everything else and connecting with God personally. You know, I get that, especially for those of you who are part of young families, it's difficult to break away from the busyness of life. I mean, you try to spend time with God and you hear a knock on the door. Mommy! Daddy, I'm hungry. You know, there's so many interruptions and distractions that you can't turn away from. And, And I encourage you, especially for those of you, as your kids get a little bit older, block periods of time out where you offload your children to somebody, of course, that you trust, Tap Jinha on the shoulder. For those of you who are ladies, tap, tap Jinha on the shoulder. Say, hey, Jinha, let's go away for a day. Let's go away for a weekend. Let's spend time together in the Word. Let's spend time together in prayer. I'll tell you, it's such an incredible experience. For those of you who are men, uh, in young families, offload the children and go, honey, for one day, for one weekend, I'm going to go away what would it you know it's one thing to step away and do something that's like recreational it's another thing to go to your wife and say i'm gonna go pray what wife is gonna say oh no way (laughs) like no way jose (laughs) like like take time spend time with god boundary that time off there's this promise that's embedded in this idea of god offering his presence he, he tells Moses, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. You know, as we journey through seeking God's will, as we're trying to live out God's will in our lives, you know, there's a lot of things, there are a lot of reasons, there are, um, there are a lot of things that can make us feel uncertain, there are a lot of things that can make us feel anxious, there are a lot, there's a lot to be afraid of, and this idea is that God is saying, connect with me and let me put your heart at ease. There's one final passage that I want to share with you. It's in Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. And here the psalmist writes, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. 
It is in vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrow. There's another translation that says, eat the bread of anxious toil. I like those words. Like it just kind of hits that, uh, makes the point hit home. But he gives to his beloved sleep or rest. You know, there's so much to be anxious about when we're trying to build something, to build our lives. And here the psalmist encourages uh, encourages us, allow God to be in that space. Let him give you rest. You know, this idea of saying, God, I don't know exactly what my plan, I don't know what the future holds. I feel I don't want to miss out on what's best for myself or my family. But here God is saying, trust me with that. Prioritize me. Prioritize my goodness, my mercy, and my morals. You know, for Jinha and I, uh, both of us are pastors and she doesn't really have this conversation, but I bring up this conversation a lot. And it's the conversation of money. It's like, hey, like, when do you think we should try and buy a house? And we've had this conversation for about 11 years now. When do you think we should buy this house? And every year, uh, I shouldn't say every year, the trend over the 11 years is that it gets harder and harder to buy, buy a home. And in my early 30s, I felt this strong urge to become financially stable. So I was looking at options of investment. And for those of you who've known me for a long time, we used to have this minivan and we put it on this platform called Car Next Door. And basically you can rent out your vehicle to anybody in the community and everything's run by app. And basically I just set the car out in front of my house. People come book it out, drive it, bring it back. And all I have to do is clean up after them. And then I, I make, inc- uh, I make uh, passive income through that. Now, in the first three years, so I, I paid about $8,500 for this van. It wasn't super nice. It was like this used van, uh, overseas van, probably from Japan or something like that. It was, it was not a nice vehicle, but it ran because it was a Toyota. And um, the first two or three years, the van brought in about $25K. Like, for passive income, that's not too bad. And especially for a pastor, I was like, yeah. Like, that van is paid for. We get an extra car, and this is awesome. And then what started happening is, like, I get a phone call on Saturday. I can't get into the vehicle, or how does this platform work? And they're supposed to contact Car Next Door, but they would contact me because I'm the owner of the vehicle. And here I am, a pastor of a Seventh-day Adventist church, and I'm getting a phone call on Saturday about revenue generation. And I was just like... (laughs) <laughs> like this is this doesn't feel right and i tried organizing things so that i could keep myself holy on sabbath and it happened two three times and it just it didn't sit well with me and then the pandemic came and i was like hooray locked down the car not renting out to anybody right nobody touched the car and it just sat there and i remember just kind of working through this idea of financial stability with god and going god what does the future hold for my family? How do I provide for them? And I just, like, in the quietness of the room, I just remember God going, I've taken care of you up until this point, and you lack nothing. There's nothing that you like, oh, no, I really need this, and my life is terrible without it. And I just, I realized, God, I just, I don't trust you with this idea of finances. So I feel like I've got to manage my own thing and create my own wealth. And long story short, I made a commitment. God, I'm going to take the car off of the platform and I'm going to get rid of it. 
And so I canceled the membership and I took the car off. And I was just like, what do I do with this vehicle? Because it's kind of beat up now. People have been using it for years. And it's like, it's just, it's, I'm going to have to put money into it to sell it. And um, one day I came out, and I realize this is a small picture. I came out to see the vehicle. And um, actually, I I didn't go to look at the vehicle. I walked past the vehicle. (laughs) And I noticed there's, like, debris on the ground. Like, what is that? It looks like my bumper is, like, a piece of the bumper is on the on, on, on the road. And I realized somebody had sideswiped the van. And I'm like, all right, well, I go up to inspect, and there's this little note on, on, on the windshield. And I pull it out, and it's it's, like, official, like, when bus drivers hit other vehicles that are, that are, like, um, empty they've, they've got to leave details and one of those dyson buses at 10 p.m had sideswiped this van as it had driven down our, our our local road and basically long story short i got like a 6500 dollar cash payout and the van was still running so then i offloaded it to the records for like 1500 dollars. And, and so i paid 8500 for the van i got eight thousand dollars after <laughs> after this thing was beaten up and i just i sat there and for me that was kind of like this confirming moment of like god just saying i've got this you take a step i'll take a step and my wife and i we don't have a house we're we're not close to getting a house we may never get a house and and my point is just that god's got this I'm, i'm okay with that and you know as you journey through whatever it is where you're asking God, God, what does the future hold? I invite you to spend time in the, in the presence of God and to, and to dwell on those three things. Um, we've developed this survey for um, the future planning of our church. Uh, as you know, we've had business meetings, we've had leadership meetings, we've had communication about what is the future of this church. Um, I'm just going to invite you to scan this survey, and you don't have to fill it out now, but I just invite you, as you answer these questions, to be prayerful. I I invite you to sit in the presence of God, to spend time, and, and to answer these questions as you consider God's will in your own life. May God bless you as you continue to consider his word. Why don't we close the prayer, and then we'll finish up. Father God, we are in need of you. And oftentimes we bring our desires, we bring our dreams, we bring our motivations, or our motivations guide and move us. But Father, your word reminds us to prioritize you, to prioritize your heart, to prioritize your presence. And as we lift up our lives to you in prayer it's it's my request that you would draw near to those here in this room that your presence would bring rest and in that place of rest you would give us direction clarity strength resilience may we live for your glory and may we know you as a result we pray these things in your name